You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. Uh, good morning, Aki. Were you at the um, concert yesterday? I wasn't at the concert. You know, when we get up so early on breakfast radio, uh, there's no ways you can uh, get home at midnight and expect to function normally the next day. You would need to so, be taking things that uh, even technology has not created. Exactly. Yet. But the couch is a wonderful place to watch it from. I can imagine. I've got to You've be honest, been... there was massive FOMO, Africa. Do we still use that term, FOMO, by the way? Have we have we not come up with something new yet? No, we, us millennials, we still use FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Look, I knew I wasn't going to be there, and I knew I would have to follow parts of it um, on streaming or broadcasting, uh, and obviously what people were showing and sharing on uh, Twitter and other social media platforms. So I was prepared for the fact that I wasn't going to be at the most important gathering um, in South Africa yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. But wow, as you correctly said, you know, I mean, leaving the venue was an absolute nightmare for many people who went out to celebrate, which is uh, so sad, you know, such a pity that, you know, we can't get a basic thing like that right. You know, it's a big event. We've done it so many times. I mean, why can't we just get it right once and for all? Uh, EWN reporting on our earlier conversation with the CEO of the stadium, Jacques Robola, uh, saying that the people who are responsible for the, um, I suppose, deployment of adequate resources for security around the stadium uh, were the SAPS and the JMPD. And I'm hoping that the afternoon shows on 702 will follow up on that conversation. Uh, we, we really need to get this underway, under control rather, because there'll be many other stadium events, many international uh, sporting games that are going to be played FNB and we need to be assured of our safety and more importantly ease of access into and out of that stadium. Mm. It really doesn't make sense that it has to take two, three hours sitting in a parking lot before you're able to get out of there. But you've been playing around with some wonderful gadgets, the Fitbit Charge 3. Yes, now look, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the Fitbits and uh, Fitbit Charge 3 is, um, it's actually quite a massive uh, jump from its predecessor. It's got a battery life of just over a week. So if you want to these people that are getting into their exercise and uh, you know wanting to monitor your your and track your your exercise and even your sleep, uh, this is a very very good uh, little device to get. It's cost two and a half thousand rand. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's got a faster process. I mean, everything's been improved. It's even got a thinner design. So the design is a little bit better. But what's cool about this, it can now track over 15 different exercises. So if you run, for example, if you're doing weights, if you're on a bike, it can, it can differentiate which exercise you're using. And it now also, the difference with this one, it now can track your swimming workouts as well, um, which is really cool. It also features an SPO2 sensor. And what the SPO2 sensor does is it, it not only tracks your sleep, but it, it uh, tracks the, the, the estimates, the changes in your blood oxygen levels. And why this is important is because if you're suffering from sleep apnea, for example, you're able to track and pick up that you are suffering from sleep apnea, which is, of course, is, uh, is, uh, is when you stop breathing in the middle of your sleep. Um, and it's very dangerous because you can actually die from it. So this is what that new sensor does. So it's got lots of different sensors and it's a, it's a, it's a very cool little fitness device that's out there and it fits into that price bracket of two and a half thousand rand there's lots of different ones that are out there um i personally have been using this one and i've been using an apple watch which i'm i I love as well because it's also got that uh, ability to be able to track different exercises as well so these these health devices are becoming very very popular and i'm sure that this fitbit charge 3 is going to feature quite highly on many people's uh, christmas wish list
No doubt. Um, I was at the Africa Com conference in Cape Town a couple of weeks ago, and mm. I was uh, marveling at uh, the direction that virtual reality is going to, particularly in the area of education. What you bring to our attention today is how that technology can be used to design future aircraft. Oh, Africa! This, you know, this is such a beautiful example of how uh, this innovation is just changing everything around us. Now, you know, in the past, and and you know, having flown in a helicopter in a Bell Jet Ranger for many years. Uh, it was interesting that this design of helicopter, and if you when you look at the Boeing 747, for example, the design was very iconic for many, many years because it just was so expensive to redesign everything. In the past, you'd have to make the parts, test them, put them on. If it didn't work, you'd have to remold the parts. And, and you know, to make a, a, a flying machine, for example, it took thousands of hours. It took thousands of machining hours. You know, engineers had to work on different parts, aeronautics. It's a very complex business to design aircraft. So uh, when Bell, Jet, when Bell is the company that makes uh, one of the helicopters that you'll often see an iconic helicopter called the Jet Ranger, for example, or the 407, when they announced the Heli Expo in 2017, they, they released this sleek and futuristic helicopter called the FCX001. And what's remarkable about this machine is that since they introduced it, they now have a almost a prototype um, that, that, that they are ready to start building upon. It normally would take them at least five to seven years, even a decade, to build a new design helicopter. But what these guys have been doing, they've been using VR, they've been using so- sophisticated software to actually imagine themselves within the design of this machine. Um, and this this is often very time-consuming. It's very tedious. They've got to do air- airframe tests, and it just takes millions and millions of hours and revenue to kind of design something new like that. So the CEO of Bell recently introduced this and he introduced the innovation team. They used VR, they used augmented reality to get into this design of this new helicopter and have actually come up with a design in a very short space of time. Here's the team talking about this because this is where the world is going. When we look, when we talk about VR, which is virtual reality or augmented reality, where you can actually physically, digitally move things around, uh, you can understand the power of 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 technology and the power of education and imagine training future doctors in the same way. We're using virtual reality as a design tool was sort of a, an aha moment we had. What if we put it in a room and then put the engineer in the room with it and let him draw on the 3D model and use that to go to the next stage of development and make some of these real-time decisions? This type of process is actually working really well because now we can sit in a 3D model. And so that allows us the real-time ability to say that's too far or I don't have enough visibility through this part of the window so we can drag lines and move things. And it's a dynamic shift and it happens on the fly. We do VR design studies. Um, It costs us a lot of money to mock up a part in real life. We'd rather just do lots of iterations on it inside VR and then decide where we want to go, then cut metal after that or cut tools after that. Kind of, it's kind of mind-blowing what these guys are able to do and how quickly the technology is enabling industries to create and build things. Um, it's just for engineers and aeronautical engineers, it's, uh, you know, VR and augmented reality is just mind-blowing for them. 
you in talking about virtual reality, you uh, painted a picture of how far we've come in uh, that technology. I imagine a lot of that requires quite a bit of data, and there's a company that has measured the amount of data we'll be using in the near future. Yeah, well, Cisco is, I mean, is synonymous to data. They, and they build all the networks. So you sitting in your computer in your studio and where I'm sitting in my studio at the moment, all the routers and the piping that brings the internet to us, uh, you know, uh, most of that is uh, created by Cisco. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of release this report every single year, you know, giving us an indication of how much data we're going to be consuming and where it's all going. And it's quite fascinating to think that, um, you know, since the, the internet kind of started off back in 1984, we have created, uh, you know, more than 4.7 zettabytes of IP traffic have moved across the internet. Now, don't even ask me how many zeros that is because that's a lot of information. But what they're saying is that we are growing at such a rapid pace in the amount of data that we're using. And uh, I mean, I don't have to tell you listening to us right now that, you know, what you're consuming on your phone, how many videos you're watching on your phone, what videos you're creating, the videos that you're sending, it's moving at such a rapid pace that they reckon that by 2022, which is, you know, not even four years from now, in 2022, we will create more traffic on the internet in that one year than we have in the 32 years since the internet started. And it's all been driven by us as consumers, and we've got fancy phones, we're taking more high-resolution photographs and videos, and they're just saying that most of this traffic is going to come from video. And uh, if, if you think of your, your Netflix habits that you watch, for example, that that's all data. But, of course, there are going to be a lot more people joining the internet. And, uh, you know, we, we're looking at incredible growth of the internet in the next few years. It's going to be driven mainly by a lot of new people coming onto the internet and just to give you an idea Africa um, right now uh, if you look at how many people are online versus how many people will come online so in 2017 which was the last end of 2017 they reckon that in the internet percentage users of the world's population probably about 45% of people have access to the internet now it's quite astonishing to think that's less than half of the world's population um, as access to the internet, which means most people in the world don't have access to the internet. But that number is going to grow to between 60 and 70% in the next four years. So you just look at how much opportunity that's going to create uh, for many businesses. And you look at the amount of devices that are going to be going up. The um, the speeds of the internet are going to, every, on average, double in the next few years. And the amount of data that the average person is going to use in the next four years is going to quadruple. So we are consuming a lot of data and we're talking about, you know, around about 30 billion devices being connected to the internet in the next four years. And that, those devices include your phone. It includes IOT, Internet of Things devices that are going to read air conditioners and all these devices talking to the internet. And once you start analyzing the data and creating meaningful data, you're almost creating a, a central nervous system of the internet to get fascinating data insights into what we're doing with the data and where the world is going. So it's going to be a very exciting next few years on the amount of data we're going to consume, but more importantly, what we do with that data. Couldn't agree more. Exciting and terrifying all at the same time. Ike Anastasia, thank you very much. Ike is back with uh, Eusebius next week, Monday.